Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hello and welcome to Kilowatt. My name is Bodie and I am your host. Let me adjust this. Might sound a little different. Sorry about that. Might sound a little different because we are cleaning out our house because we bought another house, which is very exciting. Um, also super stressful and uh, also super time consuming. So this week... Uh, I think we found out we got the house on Wednesday and uh, Thursday. I can't remember what I did, but I'm sure it was important. Friday, I spent all day filling out house paperwork and reading through all those very long and seemingly intimidating uh, uh, bank stuff and and uh, inspection reports and all that other stuff. And Saturday, we say, we say said goodbye to my niece, Sierra, who many of you know and have heard on this podcast before. But if you don't know, um, she's kind of like our daughter. Uh, we've been uh, we've been taking care of her since she was a little girl. And she is moving. She's got a new job, different state, graduated college. I'm very proud of her, but uh, I'm also very sad. And so on Saturday, we said goodbye to her. And then one more time on Sunday. Uh, she came over and we, we gave it one more goodbye, but, uh, yeah, so that's, that's a real bummer, but this is what, this is why I'm recording today because, uh, house stuff the rest of this week and, and just kind of an overall, um, sad, you know, say goodbye. It's good. It's all depressing, but, uh, it's good for her. She's got to grow up, got to move on with life. So, um, and I'm, I don't know. Very, very, very proud of her. She's a smart young lady. And Brad, who you've heard on this show before, if you've been listening, uh, her boyfriend, they're both moving together, so at least uh, they can take care of each other, and that makes me feel a little better. Anyway, um, also on Friday, interestingly enough, I went over to Brad and Sierra's apartment, and we recorded a podcast for um, for uh, the, the two-week break I'm going to have, which is perfect because it's running right up against when I go to uh, when we're moving into our new house. So uh, we recorded a, a podcast that lasted about an hour. We had many topics we wanted to cover and we wanted to do two of those, but because it lasted an hour, Sierra and I, when we get together, um, poor Brad couldn't get anything 
edgewise in and he had a lot of uh, really smart things to say and Sierra and I were just being stupid but um anyway so what I'm going to do is I'm going to take that one podcast I'm going to cut it up into two cuz it is it is very long and hopefully that will make some sense to uh, everybody listening and uh yeah but it was a good time we enjoyed ourselves so why don't we start in today's episode and today's episode is all about the Tesla shareholders. Oh, you know what? I got to stop you right here. Um, I also need to correct something. Uh, last week I talked about the hypermiling and and afterwards the Tesla wouldn't take a charge. Um, that wasn't the battery pack. James, uh, Patreon supporter, James, thank you for being a Patreon supporter. Mark, thank you. I talked to both of those gentlemen this week over email, Slack, and Facebook, and uh, talked to Dale over Twitter very, very busy week talking to some folks, but, um, yeah, the, the hypermiling, uh, James sent me this. It's not, it wasn't the battery pack. It was a 12 volt battery and Tesla did replace it. So that is important to update. Cause I want to be, oh, tell me if I'm wrong. Cause I don't want to be that guy that's delivering all the bad news or when I say bad, I mean, incorrect fake news. So first up, uh, let's talk about the NTSB preliminary report on the Model X P100D passenger vehicle where a 38-year-old driver was killed traveling southbound on the 101 in Mountain View, California. Um, I'm going to kind of read through some of this. The report's not very long. Um, And then when this is done, we'll talk about the Tesla shareholder, annual shareholder meeting. Uh, let's see. So they're traveling south. Who's traveling southbound? As the vehicle approached the U.S. 101 State Highway SH85 interchange, it was traveling in the second lane from the left, which was a high occupancy vehicle lane (HOV). And uh, let's see, lane for continued travel on the U.S. 101. According to the performance data downloaded from the vehicle, the driver was using the advanced driver assist features, traffic-aware cruise control, and auto-steer lane-keeping assistance, which Tesla refers to as autopilot. As the Tesla approached the paved Gore area, that's that when you're traveling on, uh, at least in the U.S., when you travel on a freeway, there's like this triangle, and that's the Gore point or Gore area. Um, dividing the main highways, uh, the main travel lanes, excuse me, of US 101 and SH 85 X ramp. It moved to the left and entered the Gore area. Now this is where, again, um, normally the Gore point or Gore area has an attenuator, which is the big metal thing that you crash into, but it slows you down so you don't get as hurt as you could. Um, because otherwise you're just hitting a solid piece of concrete for the barrier. So uh, the Tesla continued traveling through the Gore area and struck a previously damaged crashed attenuator at a speed of approximately 71 miles an hour. The crashed attenuator was located at the end of the concrete median barrier. The speed limit of the area of the roadway is 65 miles an hour. Preliminary recorded data indicated the Traffic aware cruise control was set to 75 at the point of the crash. The impacted uh, the impact rotated the vehicle counterclockwise and caused the separation of the front portion of the vehicle. 
the Tesla was involved in a subsequent collision with two other vehicles, in a, uh, which one was a 2010 Mazda 3 and the other was a 2017 Audi A4. So here's the preliminary review. Here's the bullet points. Uh, what This is what the performance data showed. Autopilot system was engaged on four separate occasions during the 32-minute trip, including a continuous operation for the last 18 minutes and 55 seconds prior to the crash. During the 18-minute and 55-segment, the vehicle provided two visual alerts and one auditory alert for the driver to place his hands on the steering wheel. These alerts were made uh, more than 15 minutes more than 15 minutes prior to the crash. During the 60 seconds during the 60 seconds prior to the crash, the driver's hands were detected on the steering wheel on three different occasions. That's on the steering wheel. For the for a total of 34 seconds. Um, oh, I'm sorry. During the last six minutes, excuse me. During the last 60 seconds, the, his hands were on the wheel for only 34 seconds. For the last six seconds prior to the crash, the vehicle did not detect the hands on the wheel at all. So now I'm not reading exactly this as it's written, but that's kind of paraphrase. At eight seconds prior to the crash, the Tesla was following a lead vehicle. And this is where the adaptive cruise control comes in because it was um, measuring that lead vehicle, the distance between the, the vehicle, the Tesla itself and the lead vehicle. And the well, we'll talk about that later. Uh, sounds like the 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 follow was set to the minimum and not to the maximum. During the at the, at the last eight seconds of the crash, the Tesla was following a lead vehicle and was traveling about sixty-five miles an hour. At seven seconds prior to the crash, the Tesla began a left steering movement while following the the lead vehicle. That's what put them in the gore point. At four seconds prior to the crash, the Tesla was no longer following the lead vehicle. At three seconds prior to the crash point, was uh, prior to the crash, and up to the timeline of impact with the crash attenuator, which there was no attenuator was damaged. The Tesla's speed increased from sixty-two to seventy miles an hour because I'm going to assume here that is because uh, there was no there was no vehicle in front of it. And so it felt like it could go back up to that 75 miles an hour with no pre-crash braking or evasive steering movement detected. So the driver didn't seem to notice that this was a, uh, this had happened during the collision. The vehicle's 400 volt lithium ion high voltage battery was breached and a post crash fire ensued. The driver was found belted in the, his seat Bystanders removed him from the vehicle before it was engulfed in fire. The driver was transported to the hospital where he died from his injuries. The driver of the Mazda sustained minor injuries, and the driver of the Audi was uninjured. Uh, which is... Um, this isn't good. So it's good to hear that the the fire wasn't what killed the driver because that is a terrible way to die. Um, so moving on to the last part of this, the Mountain View Fire Department applied approximately 200 gallons of water and foam during a period of fewer than 10 minutes to extinguish the fire. That's not enough. 
um, involving the interior and exposed portion of the high-voltage electrical battery. Technical experts from Tesla were uh, responded to the scene to assist in assessing high-voltage hazards and fire safety. After uh, being allowed to cool, the vehicle was transported with a fire engine escort because these things can reignite to an impound. Uh, that's my ad. I added that to an impound lot in San Mateo. Love San Mateo. The highway was reopened at 3:09 around 4:30 p.m. So about, let's see, it looks like uh, about an hour and 20 minutes after the vehicle, the freeway was reopened. Um. The Tesla started to smoke and was audibly ventilating. The battery is monitored with a thermal imaging camera, uh, but no active fire uh, operations were conducted, so basically just smoking. On March 28th, five days after the crash, the battery did reignite, and San Mateo Fire Department responded and extinguished the flames. The crash attenuator was an SCI smart cushion attenuator, which was previously damaged which we talked about before. The NTSB continues to work with the California Highway Patrol and the California Department of Transportation to collect and analyze the data, data, including all pertinent information relating to the vehicle operations, roadway, and configuration. Um, The NTSB determines it's still under investigation, and when the NTSB determines the cause, um, they will... um, let everybody know to prevent further uh, incidents like this. Again, it's never good when somebody passes away, especially um, it's just never good. I don't even want to say especially. It sucks. Um, It it sucks for the family. It's terrible. Uh, Hopefully this will be something that uh, Tesla is able to correct. There are lots of really good, um, and I, I, oh man, I heard or read something about it just recently, but I can't remember enough to tell you what it was um, as to why this is happening, why it's why it's stopping. Man, if I think about it, I'll put it in the next the next uh, show. Anyway, so that's it. That's the that's the NTSB update. Now let's get to the Tesla shareholder meeting, which interesting, nobody brought up a question about the Model S's and X's and Tesla's in general just crashing. So nobody brought that up. But let's get to the first question here. Okay, so at uh, the beginning of this, uh, I should state, uh, they had some votes. Uh, the votes went the way the Tesla board makes recommendations and the then the shareholders vote. And they voted um, to go ahead and um, to go ahead and meet the recommendations that the board had suggested, like uh, sh- uh, whether Elon should be the CEO or not, or uh, excuse me, the chairman, or whether Kimball Musk should be a board member, that kind of thing. But the first thing is, is Elon comes up and thanks uh, not only the employees but the customers, and he gets a little choked up. And this is one of the things I was on. I want to say because I do think that people should hold people being podcasters, everybody in general, but people being podcasters, real media folks, uh, real journalists. They should, without 
without uh, spelling doom and gloom, they should hold uh, their subjects that they're covering accountable, in this case Tesla, Elon, and whatever other EV companies we happen to be talking about this week. And that doesn't mean that the, you know, just because Elon doesn't recognize unions, and I think he should, that absolutely does not mean that uh, Elon Musk is a monster. So he kind of thanks everybody, and then um, he gets a little emotional. You can hear it in his voice, and if you watch the video, you can see it in his face as he kind of tears up a little bit. All right. Uh, I think we've got uh, uh, quite a lot of good news to talk about, and uh, look forward to sharing that with you and then taking questions from the audience. Um, and, uh, yeah, I'm just really proud of the Tesla team for accomplishing so much against incredible headwinds. Uh, and I'd just like to express a note of appreciation for all of our customers who bought our cars. Uh, thank you for, for buying our product. Uh, we're doing everything we can to make it as good as possible, as fast as possible. Uh, you know, I think, like, I, this is going to sound maybe a little cheesy, but at, at Tesla, we, we, we build our cars with love. Like, we really care. Um, I think at a lot of other companies, they're built by like the the marketing department and the, the finance department, and it's, there's no soul, you know. So like, we're we're not perfect, but uh, we we pour our heart and soul into into the product. We really care. Okay, so next up, and I'm gonna there there'll be some commentary from me, but really a lot of this stuff uh, is just. Uh, Elon does a really good job of explaining it, and on the cases in the cases where some of the executive team members are explaining things, they do a really good job. So there's not a lot of uh, things for me to add. I just pulled the clips that I thought were important. So the next one, Elon's going to talk about uh, the dedication of the employee, and then he's uh, employees, and then he's going to kind of talk a little bit more about Model Three production. And uh, you know, we, we've had people at Tesla who've sort of worked like 60 days straight and we had like basically forced them to go home like you gotta go home man you're gonna you're gonna keel over um and then stuck back in to work you're like damn it we said go home um so uh but the net result is despite a lot of difficulties uh all lines all parts of the model 3 production system have demonstrated uh, a 500 uh, car per day capability or a 3,500 car per week capability. So, um, and, and then we, we just um, did, a, did a big set of upgrades and we're spooling out the production lines again. And I think it's, it's, more, it's qu- quite likely that we will achieve uh, a 5,000 car a week by the end of this month. That's really good for, I'm sure, for everybody waiting on their Model 3 to get that... Uh... Uh, ramped up to 2,000 or more. Next, Elon's going to talk about the um, reliability of the car and how that's improved. Uh, we also made huge progress in the reliability of the car. So in, in the beginning, it was a bit bumpy. Um, and uh, now as uh, deliveries have risen, we've, uh, the, the, the quality and reliability of the car has improved dramatically. So it's improved by a, a factor of maybe four or five since uh, solder production. And we're working on making that even better. So, I I mean, I don't know what else to say there. That's super important. 
one of the things that Elon talked about is employee safety and how it's improving and how that's important to him and why it's important to him. And I'll be honest, I agree, or I think that he's sincere. Again, he, he gets a little choked up, so let's listen. Um, employee safety is, is a big deal for us. Uh, it's, it's, it's always tougher to achieve safety when you're uh, uh, building a new manufacturing line. So if you've got a manufacturing line that's in steady state, then you've got an opportunity to um, iron out the processes and, and, and make, make it um, a lot easier to build the car. Uh, as you're figuring things out, it, it takes a while to get there. So uh, thus far in, in 2018, uh, our average industries, uh, our injuries per, per person are 6% below the industry average, which is great because last year we were a little bit above and now we're a little bit below, and then and that trend is continuing uh, downward. So um, I, I think we've we've got a shot at being maybe half the injuries per, per person of the in auto industry, um, and um, you know that that's 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 the goal we're striving for is to be uh, half in injuries per person. It, it's it, when you're building cars and you've got a huge number of people, it's it's impossible to be zero. Or we wish it could be zero. Uh, but um, we think being being twice as good as the, as the average in the water industry is a very achievable number, and that's what we're working hard to achieve. Um, it's worth noting that the, when the injuries, um, the vast majority of the injuries are uh, repetitive stress injuries, so like back strain or, or wrist strain, but by far the most common thing. So, uh, and the way to address that is with, with better tooling and fixtures, um, and um, and rotating people through different uh, roles, so they're not always doing the same action, um, and it's also boring to do the same action over and over again. So, um, so I mean, we're, we're making good progress on that, um, and it's also worth noting even our current injury rate is half that of of what it was when uh, Toyota and GM were operating the plant. So that is often lost in a lot of the media articles. So if, if we achieve our goal, we'll be a quarter of the injuries uh, of, of when it was new me. So this is a very, what I really want to emphasize, this is a super important thing uh, to me because we obviously owe a great debt to the people who are building the car. Uh, I really care about this issue. And it does sound like he's sincere, and I hope everybody else can uh, hear that he sounds sincere. Uh, yeah, Elon Musk isn't a superhero. He's a normal person like everybody else, and I don't think he's a monster and uh, sometimes I think it's nice to see somebody actually be a human. I mean, Steve Jobs, if you read the Walter Isaacson book, used to cry all the time. Um, and, you know, he would rage and cry because he wanted, you know, whatever he thought was, he wanted to get done whatever he thought was best, you know. He wanted that to happen. So what's next? Elon's going to talk about the uh, superchargers and Supercharger 3. And a Supercharger expansion is going going really well. Uh, we're um, almost over 10,000 superchargers worldwide. Um, and uh, yeah, our, our goal is to, that you'll be able to go almost anywhere on Earth using the Tesla supercharger system. Uh, we're very excited about the next generation supercharger that is um, it's mostly finished in design and will go into production hopefully around the end of this year. So supercharger generation three um, Will, will be a, quite a dramatic improvement, um, but we want to save that announcement for uh, when it, when it deploys, uh, which is hopefully later this year. 
Um, and then once we have that system in place, then we're going to accelerate the supercharger expansion even more. And uh, that's awesome. Exciting. I don't have a Tesla, but I'm sure everybody who has one is super excited about that. Uh, the next thing uh, that Elon talks about is stationary storage, uh, which is, you know, battery packs and power packs and things like that. And it's got, uh, it's kind of interesting. We've, we've managed to uh, do now a gigawatt hour of energy storage deployment uh, worldwide. This is all the way through from the reign of Ramses II of Egypt through today, uh, which is a very impressive period of time. Um, and and in, in less than a year from now, we will do another gigawatt. So that's, that's it's a pretty massive, yeah. So, so the, the, the rate of, yeah, the rate of uh, stationary storage deployment is, is going to grow exponentially. I mean, it's really, I, I think... For, for many years to come, the, each incremental year will be about as much as all of the preceding years, which is a crazy, crazy growth rate. Um, and um, it's, it's, it's also a sort of a production-limited thing. We, we would actually be able to do more if we could produce more. Um, and we are producing a lot of batteries. So, in fact... Next quarter at the Gigafactory, we expect to make more battery capacity than um, all other EVs combined worldwide, including China. Uh, that's really interesting. The, one of the things that's coming up now is the solar roof update. And one of, the thing that I thought was most interesting about the solar roof update and the thing that I didn't know is Gene Wilder is one of my, like, when I was a kid, I loved Gene Wilder movies. I, I mean, obviously, I loved uh, Willy Wonka and the Choc Chocolate Factory, Stir, Scra Stir Crazy, um, Silver Streak, pretty much anything he did with Richard Pryor. I loved, uh, I love that guy. He's he's fantastic. Well, it turns out he passed away recently, and Elon Musk bought his house, and that was the most exciting and uh, amazing thing to me. And I looked at pictures online, and it's a pretty cool looking home. We actually have a bunch of, of um, non-Tesla employee solar roof customers, um, and uh, the response has been very positive. That that whole roof is solar, and it just looks normal. In fact, it looks better than the roof that was there. So, um, I have and I have it on um, uh, on 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 a house that I, I bought the, the little house across the road that used to be owned by Gene Wilder. It's sort of like a Willy Wonka house, and I, I was like trying to figure out how to have that go, go solo without uh, kind of ruin the, ruining the Gene Wilder aesthetic, which is I really like, actually. <laughs> so, but I was able to, to put these on, on, the, on, the, on Gene Wilder's old house, and it, it still looks it look like it still has the same character, which is great. Um, and um, it, it's, it's, we're spending a lot of time just validating the, the solar roof because the they need to last at least 30 years, ideally longer. Um, and uh, there's only so much accelerate, accelerate, accelerated life testing that you can do on a roof. So um, before we can deploy it to a large number of, of uh, houses, we need to make sure that, it's, that all elements of the roof are going to last for uh, at least three decades, ideally sort of half a century or more. And uh, next up is... First of all, the, 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 the solar roof is so cool, and 
I really, I don't know if it's fear of missing out or if it's just, I, I love the idea of the solar roof. I love the idea of solar panels just in general, because I think that, uh, screwing over the utility company is, a, is always a positive because they're constantly trying to screw over you. But, um, let's talk about profitability. Here's Elon. Um, we are, we, we're not far from Q3 and, um, I'm after, uh, my CFO and general counsel, like, yeah, you have to watch what words you use in these situations, but, um, but I, I think, you know, we, it's really looking like we are going to have positive gap net income next quarter and as well as positive cash flow in Q3 and Q4. Um, and we, uh, as I've said before, uh, have, do not expect to need to raise any incremental debt or equity. That's good to hear. I think we're going to find out, well, not I think, we're going to find out in the end of July whether or not that that is true. How profitable are they going to be? So next next up, we're going to talk, uh, we, we, Elon's going to talk about the uh, products that are in the pipeline, the Model Y, the Roadster, the Tesla Semi, uh, that kind of thing. Um, here we've got some exciting products in the works. The, the Model Y is really going to be something super special. Um, we're aiming to unveil the Model Y uh, approximately March next year and then go into production um, about two, maybe around two years from now. Maybe a little less than two years, but basically um, first half of 2020 for production of Model Y. Uh, something similar for Semi and, and Roadster. Um, so these, these products are shaping up. I think they were, Semi and Roadster are actually going to be even better than what was unveiled um, we've figured out ways to, to improve the, uh, the range um, and overall functionality of the semi uh, in particular. The Roadster, we, what I unveiled with the Roadster was the base model performance. Um, that's, um, it's it's going to have a SpaceX option package. Crazy, um, and uh, I think that it's important for us to show with the Roadster that an electric vehicle can outperform uh, an, a, a gasoline car in, in every way. So that because gasoline cars still have sort of a halo effect, um, and I think if we can show an electric car can outperform gasoline car in every way, then um, we, we sort of get rid of that halo effect of gasoline cars, um, and um, and I think that's quite a powerful thing perceptually for the for the general public so now elon's going to take some questions from twitter and they pop the the, the questions up on the screen i'm not going to read those uh basically what uh, the most important thing to take away from this uh, is what elon is saying or one of the executive team what they're saying about the actual uh how they're answering the question because the questions in material they they actually give a lot of details i guess that's what it is so let's let's listen to the first one about manufacturing in in for model 3 production line uh we were, as, as i said before we're really going to focus on manufacturing technology for tesla and uh we've 
made a lot of mistakes with the Model 3 production, that, but we've, we recognize those mistakes and we're confident we know how to address them. In fact, we, we are addressing them. Um, and, uh, and, and long term, I think the, the biggest competitive strength of Tesla is going to be manufacturing. This is, this is sort of counterintuitive, uh, but it is, it, is, it is going to be quite dramatic, I think. Um, the, the, the approach to automation that we've taken, I think in some, some cases has worked, in some cases has not. Um, but it's, it's clear that, that there, are, there are some elements of production which are really well suited to uh, people doing it and some parts of production that are really well suited to um, robotics. And you know, one of the biggest mistakes we made was trying to automate things that are super easy for a person to do, but super hard for a robot to do. Um, and, and when you see it, it looks super dumb. You're like, wow, <laughs> why do we do that? Um, so, and then as you, so it sort of makes sense to have, start off with an initial production line, which is, has a relative bias towards, um, uh, towards people, and then you automate the parts of the production system that are the most painful and difficult for people to do. So particularly ones that result in repetitive stress injuries um, or mechanically difficult. That, that's, that's really a much better approach. Um, and that's, that's what we're going to do for uh, Dreadnought Factories 1 and 2. Uh, it's a much more sensible way to do things. Okay, and uh, I would agree with that. Uh, it is a much more sensible way to do things. The next question had to do with... Um, Lowering the the excuse me, lowering the battery cost uh, to below a hundred dollars a kilowatt hour, and uh, again he he does a good job. The executive team does a good job of answering that. You know, it's difficult for us to talk about specific cost numbers. That's always a, a difficult topic, but we're we're still very confident that we have the best price and performance of anything out out there in the world. If there's something better, I don't know about it, and we've looked as hard as we possibly can. And we try and talk to every single battery, you know, startup, every lab, every large manufacturer. We get quotes from them. We test cells from them. So if there's something better, you know, we're, we're all ears. We'd love to find it, but we, we haven't found it yet. Um, so generally, uh, yeah, we're, we're still pretty confident about the, that same direction. Yeah, I mean, we're, we think at the cell level, Probably we can uh, do better than $100 per kilowatt hour maybe later this year, uh, depending upon what on commodity prices. If commodity prices are roughly where they are today, then we'll probably do better than $100 kilowatt hour at the cell level. Um, and then uh, with further improvements to the cell chemistry and the production process um, uh, and more vertical integration on the cell side, uh, for example, integrating the uh, production of, of cathode and anode materials at the Gigafactory, um, and then um, an approved design of the module and pack. Um, we we think long term we can we can uh, get below hundred dollars kilowatt hour at the pack level, which is really the, the key figure of merit for a a car. Uh, but lo- long term meaning definitely less than two years. Uh, my long term is also two years. Just just so you know, two years is a long time even though I'm 43 and it shouldn't be, but it's a long time. So this next one, uh, we're going to talk about Gigafactory and production. Um, 
when will the Gigafactory be completely built? Uh, I think we'll keep building on the Gigafactory for at least um, four or five years. Uh, it will be by far the biggest building in the world. Um, it's, it's not that far from being the biggest building in the world um, already. And uh, based on the plans that we know, it, it, might be as, it might be twice as big as the next building in the world. Um, hence the interesting tour. Um, so it's, yeah. It's, yeah, it's, it's about a third done right now. Um, and, um, yeah, so it's really, really, really enormous. And, and, and I think it's going quite well. Uh, there will be more gigafactories in the future. Um, like we're, we're close to announcing a combined uh, uh, vehicle and battery factory. So future gigafactories will include vehicle and battery pack and powertrain as a single integrated unit. Um, and we're close to announcing something in China uh, that, um, it, it, particularly as we try to make cars more and more affordable, it's going to be important to um, localize production to at least the continent level. Uh, and so uh, having a, a gigafactory and vehicle factory in, in North America, uh, one in China, and then one in Europe um, will be, uh, uh, that's sort of the ob those are the obvious uh, uh, th three places for uh, vehicle and battery gigafactories. Um, so probably, if things go according to plan, we'll probably be announcing details of the, the China Gig Factory as soon as next month. Um, and then uh, Europe Gig Factory, maybe end of this year, um, kind of depending on, on how uh, the... Uh, we need to figure out where to put it exactly. So, um, But probably towards the end of this year for the uh, Europe Gig Factory. Um, and ultimately, we expect probably there's... 10 or 12 worldwide. I, honestly, I would not have guessed that the European Gigafactory was going to be out uh, or announced this soon. Um, I'm kind of amazed at that, to be honest with you. So uh, next one, he's going to chat about the Tesla Semi and give us an update on that. We, we, we are going to do another revision of the Tesla Semi design because uh, there's We've learned a lot, and we think we can actually make it even better than what was uh, unveiled, um, and, and really have a range that is uh, way beyond what people think, or most people in the industry think is possible. Um, and we want to, it's definitely going to be a semi that works in Europe and in North America and China and the rest of the world. Yeah, we've, we've talked about this a few times, but Tesla will absolutely recycle, and we do recycle all of our spent cells, modules, and battery packs. So, you know, the discussion about, you know, this, this waste is sort of ending up in landfills is not correct. You know, we, we, we would not do that. These are valuable materials. Um, in addition to it's just the right thing to do. So, so we have current uh, partner companies on every major continent where we have, you know, uh, cars operating that we work with uh, to, to do this today. And in addition, we're developing internally uh, more, you know, processes. We're doing R&D on how we can, you know, improve this recycling process to get more of the active materials back. And ultimately, what we want is a closed loop right at the gigafactories that reuses the same recycled materials. You know, this isn't impossible. We, we see a pathway to do it. But, uh, you know, that, that's where we're headed with this. And, you know, today, the 
you know, it, we're on the way to do that. It, it's definitely a, something that will be a huge benefit in the long term to cost as we're able to reprocess more materials instead of actually having to mine new materials. So that, that makes sense. It saves them money. Um, it's good for the environment. And overall, um, it, hopefully it'll overall bring down costs. Now they're going to talk about repairability and insurance companies. In terms of repairability of Model 3, including insurance costs, um, we're working with the with insurance companies um, and on some internal activities. Uh, but we're really confident of getting the, 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 the cost of insurance for Model 3 to be at least 20 to 30 percent uh, lower than, say, a BMW 3 Series or equivalent mid-size sedans. So um, the, the safety is definitely better, um, and then we're... Um, we're working on the, the, the repair costs. Uh, we made a lot of progress in that front. But the bottom line is that the, um, the, the insurance cost, total cost, cost of ownership of the Model 3 should be significantly better than any other mid-priced uh, premium sedan. The, this next uh, person wanted Elon to give a public guarantee that the base price Model 3 would uh, be released. And uh, I, it sounds like he does. Yes. <laughs> there will be... We will definitely offer a $35,000 version of the Model 3. Um, and uh, it's, I think probably at the end of this year is when we should be able to make the smaller battery pack um, and, um, and then get into um, kind of volume production of 35K version in Q1 next year. Uh, so that's uh, definitely, we will definitely honor that obligation. And we would do so right now if, if it was physically possible. Elon's going to talk a little bit about the upcoming autopilot and the uh, changes that have been made and how why it's going to be better. So let's listen to it now. Let's see, uh, yeah, we're going to um, in in hopefully next month offer a free trial for people to try out autopilot and see how well it works. Um, we're also uh, making rapid progress rap- rapid progress on autopilot technology, so the there's a, a new version of Autopilot that's rolling out, I think, this week, uh, which um, I think is quite a significant improvement. And I think the, what, what, what you'll see is that the uh, reliability and capability of Autopilot uh, will increase exponentially over the next uh, 6 to 12 months. It's really, the, the, the improvements are very, very rapid. The um, updates and kind of what's coming in the future little later on in the talk. Um, and then what happens if you have a Model 3? You don't have a Model 3 reservation. How long are you going to have to wait? Um, the, the length of time to wait for a Model 3, if, you, if you're ordering one now, um, will vary quite a bit depending upon what part of the world you're in, you're in and what configuration. So if for the existing configuration, if you were to order now in the U.S., you probably would be waiting... I'm guessing about three or four months. Um, if you, on the other hand, if you want the right-hand drive version, you're probably waiting for more, uh, over a year uh, because we need to build the right-hand drive version and ship it to other countries and, and homologate the car for, for other countries. So the wait is anywhere from three to 15 months, approximately. Uh, but for current configuration, ordered now, uh, it's maybe about three or four months. That's not. It doesn't seem too bad. Three or four months un, under the existing configuration. Obviously, you're not going to get the base model for that. But 
three or four months, it doesn't seem terrible. If you don't have a reservation, like I said, a thousand times, I guess. Uh, how many assembly lines does Tesla have? How many are they running? And this, this is a good question. Um, I, I wish I would have thought to ask. Um, this is actually quite a complicated answer. There are many um, lines to the Model Model 3. In some places, it's there are several lines. In some places, there are there's just one line. And it kind of depends on what the, cap- the capacity of that line is. Um, so for... For general assembly, which is like putting the parts together at the end, uh, we currently have two lines and are constructing a third. Um, the the third line is, um, I think, dramatically better than lines one and two. Uh, we started construction on on that third line about two weeks ago, um, and we're already putting the first car through that line. So it's really crazy fast. Um, and, and that's part of what gives me confidence about the uh, 5K per week for Model 3. Um, the, currently, the biggest constraint on output is General Assembly. Um, and I, I think we can probably get to 5,000 a week with the current two General Assembly lines. Uh, but with the third one, I'm highly confident that we can exceed uh, 5,000 units per week. So that's good, that third line. Um hopefully once they get the third line up and going they'll redo the first and second line Uh, next up Elon's going to talk about service centers and the potential maybe for some same day body repair which I think would be awesome Uh, we're rapidly expanding service centers Uh, I think by the end of the kind of year over year probably see a doubling of service center capacity for, um, for Tesla and um, we're making major progress on the body shop front. Um, we're also, uh, it was quite a, quite a big deal, we're, we're creating Tesla uh, body shop repair uh, locations, um, and we should have, by the end of this month, uh, uh, the, at least the top 10 um, metro areas in the U.S. Uh, being able to be serviced by a Tesla uh, body shop. Um, th- this will be a dramatic improvement in the cost and time of body repair. Um, in fact, we think we might be able to do for a lot of them like same day body repair. I think that's fantastic. My somebody keyed my wife's uh, car at her work, which is infuriating. And for if they could take care of that in one day and not have a big, huge um, uh, inconvenience to my family, it's it's completely worth the money to buy a Tesla for me. Uh, Let's listen. Uh, this is about Tesla maybe doing a compact car in the future, which the interesting answer is. Yeah, I think we'll do a, a compact car in less than five years. Yeah. All right. Um, Elon's going to talk about a little bit later about how uh, his timelines versus reality. Uh, but uh, hopefully they will. That'd be awesome. Uh, the next one is uh, SpaceX Starlink, which is their internet uh, arm of Spacelink, I guess. Talking about uh, using that with the model or the Tesla vehicles and if that's possible or not. And I'm just excited about this thing just in general for everyday use for my house. So I don't even need it on a Tesla, but let's listen. 
Hi. Uh, Glenn Shotwell of SpaceX mentioned that Tesla automobiles might use uh, in some way the Starlink uh, satellite network. I was wondering if you might elaborate on that opportunity and when that might take place. Uh, it's possible. Um, I think it, it probably will be the Starlink thing is more meant for um, terrestri like like fixed terrestrial um, homes and businesses and that kind of thing. Um, for mobile, it might be possible to use the Starlink system effectively if you had a repeater, ground-based repeater system. Um, but the, the Starlink uh, user terminal is about the size of a sort of small to medium-sized pizza. So I'm not sure you'd want to put that on the roof of the, you know, of a Tesla. Um, I mean, maybe, but I think probably just using, most likely we'll continue to use just Wi-Fi and the cellular network. Yeah, most likely. Yeah. And uh, Elon's always charming. Uh, not always. He was not charming at the last uh conference call but he's generally charming uh this next one is going to talk about uh the infrastructure for countries that are kind of having a hard time with their their you know with uh, brownouts and blackouts and things like that so they're going to start kind of talking about how um what tesla's doing to correct that and what they've done and how they've succeeded to this point so let's listen to that right now Hello, uh, my name is Stephen Singleton, and my question is, um, how is Tesla engaging regarding virtual power stations um, with governments and territories and countries that may have weak power infrastructures um, to provide clean energy to more of the world's citizens? Um, yeah, I think the, we'll have a lot more to say about that when we announce the Generation 3 of the superchargers. Uh, because that we'll, we'll be doing much more of an integrated uh, solar battery system with the superchargers. So today, uh, only a few of the supercharger systems have solar and battery systems, um, but long-term, we want to have almost all of them have that. And the nice thing if you, uh, is that if you've got like a solar-powered, kind of like a solar-powered carport area and, and, and Tesla batteries, um, then even if the grid, you don't even need to be connected to the grid. Um, so it's sort of like even, you know, proof against like a zombie apocalypse that should still work. As long as the zombies aren't too near the supercharger, I suppose. Um, but yeah, so it, it, it'll be able to work anywhere, even if there's not good power infrastructure. He's also asking about like networking power walls together. Oh, okay. Um, and for like a virtual power plant, if that's kind of what you also were alluding to, you know, we, had, we do have a really cool project in Australia. Um, where we're actually networking together up to 50,000 individual homes with power walls. Um, so each one of those homes has its own battery. It can still serve as like a you know, backup power source if the utility totally goes out, if there's a storm. But when things are working normally, all those houses can talk together, and then we can talk to the utility and treat them as sort of one big distributed power plant. So that, that's a really cool uh, project that has benefits across the whole grid for the homeowners, for a lot of people. And, uh, you know, we're building that out right now, and we'll probably be expanding that same model. We have a small demo in the U.S., and we'll be expanding it worldwide. And then um, they're going to talk about uh, Puerto Rico. And we're also doing you know, quite a lot in Puerto Rico. Um, I, I think we have, 
I think Tesla has more, more battery projects and, and solar projects in Puerto Rico than everyone else combined. So it's, we're making a big difference there, we're doing our best to, um, and I think there's potential for kind of a virtual grid in Puerto Rico as well, uh, rather than rebuilding a legacy, um, you know, sort of oil and gas-based uh, energy generation system. Um, the next question is about uh, supercharging and charging times, and are they going to get an, over, an order of magnitude, which means 10 times better than their, what they are currently? So let's listen. Do you guys see room for kind of orders of magnitude improvement in charging time, or are we kind of reaching a plateau with current battery chemistry and technology? I wouldn't say that there's an order of magnitude improvement, um, but I think a factor of three or four is is possible. Um, now, the it, it won't be applicable to all battery chemistries. Uh, so, 2012 chemistry can't take the charge rate of current chemistry, um, but um, and we wish it could. We wish it could, but but we just had to make a bunch of improvements to to increase the charge rate. The the key, um, I think figure of merit is uh, that the ratio of drive time to charge time should be at least on the order of like uh, 6 to 1, if not 10, 8 to 1 or 10 to 1. At the point at which um, you're driving, say, 10 times as much as you're charging, then the natural sort of human need to take a break, uh, <laughs> unless you have an enormous bladder, is um, <laughs> it, it, it starts, to, to, starts to become paramount. I mean, if you start a road trip at, say, 9 a.m., Typically, by around noon, you want to stop, um, you know, uh, hit the restroom, grab a bite to eat, grab a coffee, and 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 then you want to get back to your car um, and have it be ready to go. So that's where, the, if, like, if you say that that's like maybe half an hour, that's kind of like the minimum threshold uh, for the car to be ready to go when you when you come back from a break. Um, and then if you get to the point where it's say say ten to one, where um, maybe it's only fifteen twenty minutes. Um, or, yeah, something on the order of 15 minutes, then the car is ready to go way before you're ready to go. Um, and for some of the long distance, like if you get, say, um, a Model S 100D, um, and it could, you, you can drive nonstop from LA to San Francisco if you drive carefully. Um, that's, that's a long drive. So, um, and, and we think there's your potential, there's certainly uh, opportunity for range improvements um, down the road where We'll, you know, we'll be able to offer cars with ranges in excess of 400 miles. Yeah, right now, I mean, there are other companies that saying that are saying that, that they can reach 400 miles. Uh, whether they can do it on scale or not is is another thing. But um, I would, you know, I, I kind of tend to agree uh, with what Elon's saying here. Uh, the next one is a, a question from a person uh, who represents PETA. And I didn't know this because I thought that uh, Tesla had all the leather options out of the car, but apparently the steering wheel is still wrapped in leather. So she just kind of asks about that and if there's any chance it's going to go away anytime soon. Hi, my name is Dr. Catherine Van Eckert, and I'm with People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals. I have a question regarding your use of leather in your gear shifter and steering wheel. Gear shifter? Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, no? I guess if I don't think has anything. Um, steering wheel maybe does, or do, okay, the steering wheel still does. Um, but 
Are you, are you still using leather in some of your components? So we do in Model S, X, and 3 currently. We have the only leather is on the steering wheel rim. Um, and people have asked and kind of off-menu, we do replace that um, yeah. for people that are need a fully vegan car. Sure. So our concern is that, uh, you know, we're obviously facing an environmental crisis and animal agriculture, as we all know, is one of the, the main contributors, particularly leather production. Um, we're really pleased to see that you have introduced non-leather seating options and that's a really fantastic step towards uh, your goal of sustainability. We would really like you to take the next step and eliminate all leather components. Yeah, um, you know, I think S, X, and 3, uh, we may be the first vehicles in production to kind of go non-leather, um, and at least in all of our seating in our trim, and we're actively working on replacing the steering wheel as well. We just want to make sure that the experience is as good, if not better. Sure. Yeah, just to add to that, so there are some existing premium vegan leather suppliers, um, Ultra Suede and Alcantara's, if I'm pronouncing it correctly. They're used by other luxury cars like Ferrari. So, yeah, we would really like to see Tesla um, step up as well. Um, yeah, uh, we'll, we'll definitely be uh, offering sort of, uh, as Brian says, technically, we don't say it on the website, but you can... Um, actually have a Tesla that has zero leather whatsoever, including on the steering wheel. Um, it's a little difficult because we do it in small quantities at the design studio, um, so it's, it's challenging to do it, do it at scale. Um, but um, uh, Model Y, for example, will, will, will not have any leather in it, including in the steering wheel, even if, if it does have a steering wheel. Boom. Even if it does have a steering wheel, I hope it has a steering wheel because um, my first uh, Tesla car, I would actually like to drive it. But um, yeah, um, and, and in terms of the leather and and the environmental concerns, I I don't eat beef. Um, I do probably own things that have leather on them. I probably should be a little bit more cognizant of what I do and don't own that might have leather. But um, I do think that it's good that, that Tesla is aware of that. And then also I think it's good that they offer an options. I didn't know that they'd offered an option. If somebody wanted to, they'll, they'll take the leather off and put a different, uh, material on. Um, let's see. This next one is, uh, a question about battery density and the timeline for how, I think they said twice as, um, how long will it take before they're able to put, uh, twice the amount of power in the same size battery pack, I think is how they phrased it. But uh, if we listen closely, we'll hear the guy actually ask his own question. Maybe. When do you expect uh, significant battery advances to allow Tesla to pack twice as much energy into each of the batteries without increasing the size or weight? Twice as much is tricky, but we can certainly see a path to... About a, two, about a 30, 30% improvement, maybe a 40% improvement in um, energy in the same size battery pack. Um, but it, like, the, the best technology we are confident does work, and it just it needs to be scaled up uh, and made very reliable. But the 30 to 40% is definitely, definitely doable. Long-term, probably double. Long-term by other people's standards. Um, 
from a Tesla standpoint, we think probably two to three years to get to about a 30% improvement in volumetric energy density and, um, yeah, maybe six years or something, six to eight years to get to a doubling. It's, it's highly dependent on making um, lithium, uh, for that really big jump, a lithium anode is, is the key. Uh, just plate plating out pure lithium on the anode. I, the, the, I mean, that's the, that last question was pretty interesting. This next one, I think Elon uh, does a great job. Somebody's asking about uh, the all-wheel drive, and then it goes into, and I think I kept it in here, but it goes into how this guy who asked the question, he'll be in um, Fremont doing a factory tour in September, and he was asking if he could pick up his car then, and Elon said, yeah, we'll make sure you get to pick up your car. So let's see if I actually pulled that whole clip. But I would really, really, really like to have an all-wheel drive. Oh, yeah. Can you give an order of magnitude guess as to how long I'd have to wait for that? Oh, you should receive a configuration uh, email maybe in the next week or so. Perfect. Uh, yeah. <laughs> how about... Uh, and we start, we start production on all-wheel drive. Actually, technically, we're starting on production on all-wheel drive uh, this month. Um, and we expect to scale that up. Um, uh, in, that, in July and August, and uh, and be in uh, high volume production of all wheel drive by okay. September for sure. So I have a I have a tour planned for September, uh, one month tour. <laughs> all right, we'll make sure you get any your car. chance I can make it. Yes, <laughs> we'll make you sure you get your car. <laughs> the next, next question is a really good question about autopilot and lidar that Elon's answered in the past, but I mean. And I don't know, he could be uh, making all of this up, but it sounds right and it sounds logical and it sounds like he explained it in a way that even a moron like me could understand. But it's a quite a long answer. But uh, overall, I think he does a good job here of uh, uh, talking about the problems and of LiDAR. Oh, hi. Uh, my name is Kevin. I have the Model S since uh, 13. And my question is about autopilot and the use of LiDAR. As we all know that uh, Tesla probably is the, the company alone that not using LiDAR, where all other vendors using it. So as uh, autonomous driving is close to reality, I think inevitably there will be a showdown on which approach will be more superior. Mm -hmm. So wh what do you think? When that time will be? Um, well, I, I think... I think LiDAR will be seen as, what, what LiDAR tends to drive companies to do is to uh, go to a local maximum in terms of autopilot capability or autonomous driving capability. Um, and LiDAR ends up being like somewhat of a crutch. It's, it, it's, it's helpful to get almost there, but if you, if you rely on it, you will never get, actually get there, is, is, is my opinion. So you have to make vision uh, work uh, extremely well. Uh, in order to achieve uh, true self-driving. Um, once you've made vision work extremely well, LiDAR is really n unnecessary. It's not really adding anything. Um, we do have uh, sophisticated uh, sonar, like ultrasonic sensors around the vehicle for near field. Um, and we do have a forward radar system, uh, which is useful for uh, detecting objects uh, even in uh, fog uh, sort of snow, rain, like low visibility conditions um, where 
you can't see what's going on. And, and that's also a case where LiDAR is ineffective because LiDAR is uh, an active, photo, active photon generator in the visible spectrum. Um, this doesn't make sense to me because uh, you have a, a massive amount of incoming photons in the visible spectrum normally. Um, so if you're going to do active photon generation, um, 400 to 700 nanometers is the wrong wavelength, uh, or, or on that order is wrong wrong wavelength. You really want to be aiming for uh, something that's uh, around a four millimeter wavelength uh, because that is uh, occlusion penetrating. I, I mean, I don't know about you guys, but I really <laughs> like I learned a ton there, and there's still much so much more to learn. Um, it would be great if Elon just kind of put out a like a master class on this stuff. Um, based on his opinion, not based on any, uh, you know, we don't know if it's, if it's, I'm sure it's fact because he wouldn't necessarily say it. He'd be called out on it, but based on his opinion, it'd be really interesting, uh, to hear more, uh, just kind of his thoughts on that whole process. And then finally, not finally, we got a couple more, uh, we're going to talk about reality timelines versus Elon's timeline. And this is uh, just kind of a funny little clip. Uh, hi, thanks for a shot on the conference call, by the way. And uh, my question was just surrounding, as, as a long-term investor, I, I hate to say this, but I feel like my trust in Tesla's timelines sort of eroded a little bit with the Model 3 ramp. So should I keep discounting things on Elon time? Or are you guys, have you learned anything about this? Um, I think I do have, like, an issue with uh, time. Uh, <laughs> it's like... Yeah, it's it's been true since so. Uh, and my brother's here. I was like, uh, I, uh, I have a condition. I don't know. Um, my, my brother used to um, like when we were catching the bus to school, <laughs> he would lie to me about the time, uh, <laughs> and he always always says like, or some some says like earlier than it actually was, and then I get there slightly after that, <laughs> and and then we'd actually be able to catch the bus. Um, so I, I, you know, this is something I'm trying to get better at. Um, um, I'm a sort of naturally optimistic person, um, which other, which I would not have probably done cars or rockets if I was not. Um, but um, so I'm, I'm trying to recalibrate these these estimates. Um, yeah, <laughs> um, try to recalibrate as much as possible. Um, I, I mean, I probably put some sandbag on future dates. That's probably wise. Um, but I, I, I kind of stay say when I, I think it can occur. But then I'm t- typically optimistic about these things. Um, but maybe less, op- hopefully, less optimistic over time. So yeah, like it pretty much always happens, but not exactly on the time frame. Yeah, um, I would agree with that. Pretty much always happens, but not on the time frame. Um, and then this last, not the last one, the second to last one is, will there be a Tesla motorcycle? But the, and the short answer is no, but it's interesting as to why it's a no. Has Tesla ever thought about going into the motorcycle business? Yeah, um, I actually used to ride motorcycles when I was a kid and I did like dirt biking for... I don't know, like eight years or something, um, and then I uh, um, had a road bike uh, until I was 17 and was almost killed by a truck. Um, so we're not going to do motorcycles. 
And finally, um, a uh, it sounded like a teenage girl asks uh, as her mom is coming close to like a stoplight or something like that. Uh, the car will beep because she's not slowing down soon enough. And what the question is is, will I mean I let her ask it, but basically is will the car preemptively slow down? Even if you're not, you know, paying attention, so the crash—it's not an alert, alert crash. It's an alert, and then a little slowdown, and then maybe a bump instead of a big crash. So, um, I think it's a good question. It talks a little bit more about autopilot, what uh, the update is going to entail in the next couple of months. Mr. Musk, my name is Sonia, and my mom has a Model 3, and my dad has a Model S, and I have one share. Um, so I've noticed that whenever my mom is, like, kind of going a little bit too fast to, like, a, like approaching a car to stop sign, uh, the Tesla beeps pretty loudly to kind of warn, like, hey, you're going to hit that. I was wondering, like, are you guys thinking about developing a mode where, you, like, drivers could choose to turn it on, and then if a Tesla detected that it was approaching something quickly or was going to crash, it would like gradually slow down a little bit. So best case scenario, if the driver takes control, it doesn't really matter. Worst case scenario, and they crash, it decelerates so it's not as bad. It, it does actually have, uh, there's a automatic emergency braking. Um, um, and I think what you're saying is like, instead of like last minute kind of dramatic uh, slow down, maybe slow down sooner but less dramatically, um, and that that is that is something that uh, w- um, will occur with the uh, latest versions of autopilot. Uh, so it will, if, if as it will decrease speed proportionate to the the confidence level. Um, yeah, we, we, we want to do that in a way that's not annoying to people, like the car isn't slowing down. Um, a lot, um, but it's, so it's, it's a really delicate balance between not annoying people so that they want to turn it off, um, but also being safe. Um, for, for autopilot, I think it's, it, the improvements are going to be really quite quite dramatic in the over the next several months. Um, yeah, um, <laughs> it, the, the system is is intended to. Um, change speed proportionate to its confidence uh, in, in going forward. Um, but in order to do so, we had to improve the sophistication of the auto- autopilot neural net um, and the heuristics that go with it, so it, it just didn't annoy the hell out of people. Because um, there are many times where the car thinks it should slow down, but actually not, not really. Um, and, um, and that would just drive people crazy. So uh, I, I, I do think what you're getting at is something that you'll see uh, play out with the versions of autopilot that are get deploying later this year, and including the one that's coming out this week. Thanks. Okay, and that's it. There were some other things that uh, that were talked about, but honestly, um, I don't. Uh, I didn't want this to be like a three-hour show. It's already an hour and ten minutes. Um, this might get put out on Sunday night, but if it gets released on Monday, the reason why is I had tons of audio problems trying to get all this stuff to match up and some of the clips were super loud even though I have the decibels turned down so and some of my uh, some of my audio parts were turned way down so I don't know why that happened but just so you know if for some reason 
uh, you're not listening to this on Sunday night, which it's 1120. That is 100% because I had audio problems. So I apologize for that. Uh, finally, I want to say if you stuck with it this long, thanks so much. I hope it was really interesting. Um, I probably just could have squished all those uh, sound bites together and not interjected at all, and it probably would have been better, to be honest with you. Uh, but I like to talk, and it's my podcast, so that's where we're at. Um, but I hope everybody has a really good week. I'm trying to get back on schedule, trying to get back to Fridays, but until probably two to three weeks after we move into this house, which is uh, 45 days before we sign. So I guess we're at like uh, 41 days left, something like that. And then we can do the whole move-in process and we're trying to sell our house all at the same time. So these shows might be a little chaotic, but I'm going to get one out every single week, uh, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, or at the latest on Monday. Um, hopefully this Friday I'll start uh, I'll start getting it back on Fridays. I can't think of anything that I have going on on Friday. So fingers crossed I'll be able to do that. Uh, the other thing is um, there's going to be just a reminder uh, there's going to be three shows in the middle of July that will be pre-recorded. Uh, the one with Sarah and Brad that I said I'm going to split up, that'll be 99 and 100. And then my friend uh, Trapper will be 101, uh, provided we could still get together and record. He's a pretty busy dude, but hopefully we can. And uh, yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. So I hope everybody has a great week. I hope that... Uh, yeah, I just hope everybody has a great week. <laughs> Sorry. Mine's a little numb. Uh, if you have any questions, please feel free to email me. And uh, if you want to be a part of the Patreon, go to patreon.com forward slash kilowatt and you can uh, support the show. And I just want to make sure that everybody knows this. Like, the the whole point of having uh, the, the Patreon is not to support me. It's just to support the show. Like I don't use any, I get uh $5 a month, uh, after Patreon takes all, all of its stuff at this point. And I'm very appreciative of those $5, but the money doesn't, the money just goes back in to making the show better. So if it ever reaches above whatever it is that costs me to, I think it's like 60 or $75 a month. If you add everything in to do this show, whatever that number is, um, if it goes above that, that's just to do cool things like giveaways. And I think I'm going to do a giveaway for the two year anniversary of the show. Um, it go, and last year during Christmas, they gave away, um, only five people entered and everybody got a prize, uh, just because I was, uh, really excited about the Christmas spirit. <laughs> Turns out it cost, cost a lot of money. Um, but yeah, it, the whole point is not to, for me to make money in the way of, patrons if i got ad support then yeah that'd be awesome i'd love to make money but not off the backs of the listeners the the whole point is for it to go back into the show so um and i you know my regular job pays for all the other stuff so it's not it's just to to, to keep this whole thing going i'm gonna stop rambling if you want to email me it's bodie at 918digital.com and i hope you guys all have a great week again uh, the later it gets the more i ramble so thanks for listening and I will talk to you hopefully on Friday.
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.